I kind of went along with the story. You know, a lot of it was what would I do, but at the same time, it's like, okay, this isn't me. So what would he do? What would his personality say? So it's just like feeling out the story that you have written so far and how you can take it to the next point but keep the character or actually uh help the character grow along the way so that that is it was tough though like i I did put a like i said i put a lot of myself in there but it was tough to say this may be what i would do but i can't put jerome doing this in the story Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, their writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Jamad Gold, a local activist and writer from Salisbury, Maryland. As the ninth child of 14 in his family, Jamad found a passion for words and music early in his grade school years. He nurtured that creative spark and followed his passion to college, earning his Bachelor of Arts degree in music technology from Bowie State University in 2014. In just a few months, Jamad is moving to California, where he will attend the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. Recently, he completed his first novel titled Uncivil Unity, a narrative that focuses on the Black Lives Matter movement, civil rights, racial and social issues, as well as advocacy and unity in increasingly tense times. Welcome to the podcast, Jamad. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm absolutely delighted to have you here. One of the first things that I noticed was when I was reading your bio, you said you were one of nine of 14, and that you, <laughs> which I can't relate to that because I just have one sister. But one of the things that I, I kind of immediately connected with was that you wrote that homework assignments kind of grew into this love of writing for fun. And I was like, man, I I feel like that was me as a kid. So can you describe a little how you fell in love with writing and music and and those sorts of things? Uh, Music is always like, that's my first passion, first and foremost. I've always had that in the home, uh, whether it be Sunday mornings when the family's cleaning and they have on the uh, Ray Charles or Stevie Wonder or something like that. Absolutely. to when I started hanging more around my older brothers and they had on Biggie Smalls and Tupac and DMX. So, like, music's always been around. So I've always had a passion for music. But writing was more... I uh, went to North Salisbury Elementary here on in Salisbury, and uh, they always had us doing work. Like, it was nonstop. So, like, they would have us writing different stories, and I was just like, I really like doing this. So my friends and I, we even had, a, like, a journal we would pass around between classes when we got to middle school and we would uh, write stories and each of us would take a part and write the story in the journal. And it was just, just kept going from there. Oh, that's fantastic. I used to kind of do the same thing with some of my, my friends. We would like write plays and then have each other act out these, you know, parts in the play. But I love that notion that, you know, for a kid that words can kind of spark and then, and then lead further into, you know, something like that. And I think it's important to do early because what it does is it, it gives you a it you're building maybe a path to your to your grown up right, imagination. Right. You're like you're like this is how I this is how I think when I wanna make stuff up. This is this is these are the circumstances under which I make stuff up and write that stuff that I've made up down. Right. And when you're doing that early, as you get older, it just becomes I guess a little bit more natural to to turn like 
daydreams into into stories or or into you know, I don't know how I mean I think it happens to everybody you're like okay this is how it goes and all of a sudden you're you're like halfway through and you're like okay now I have to write this down because right. this is you, you, there's a difference between just thinking about stuff and when you hit that stride and you're like oh I'm not thinking about stuff I'm I'm writing now I'm just not typing exactly and, and a lot of a lot of times adults they uh, forget how to do that and so they lose that creative process so definitely keeping it early on and honing that in is great. Yeah, and I think one of the other things you kind of touched on too was, you know, your love of music and then to have a love of words and then song lyrics. Mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of when you mentioned Ray Charles to, you know, Biggie Smalls. And one of the things that I I love about music, which I have absolutely zero talent for, (laughs) is how some, you know, people are able to pull, you know, as as a writer, you know, I love lyricism in literature. There's also a very lyrical quality and fun with words and and play with words that I think especially that we can find in hip hop and rap now, you know, that's always my, one of my, you know, big defenses when people are like, I don't like rap. I'm like, yes, but the words, I mean, like if you listen to the way that some, you know, hip hop artists are the rhymes and the spins and how Mm -hmm. fast it's going. I'm like, if I, as a writer, you can't appreciate that. I don't know how to talk to you. Right. Yeah. I mean, not so much nowadays, which is unfortunate. There's not as many people that are still really honing in on that skill to be a lyricist and to tell a story. But definitely, like, the late 80s to early 2000s, really, everybody was just, they were doing it in a story form. And it, you, you really felt that them using the metaphors and the the similes in their, in their rhyme schemes the whole time, it, it really felt like poetry more than anything else. Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, my, my early Dr. Dre and Snoop <laughs> Dogg and, you know, when I was kind of growing up, I, like, I, I loved the just, I mean, I was like, how many more times can they rhyme this word? And it was just, <laughs> I, I just sort of fell in love with that piece. But um, but we were talking um, before Tony got here because Tony was super late. Um, <laughs> as, as usual. <laughs> as per usual. Um, I wanted to talk, I wanted to, you know, kind of segue from, you know, talking about love of words and going right into Uncivil Unity, which is the novel that you just wrote. And mm-hmm. so when you came in, I haven't had a chance to read it because uh, you're in the process of publishing now. But so when I sat down, I said, so so tell me about Uncivil Unity. And then you blew my mind <laughs> with this incredible, uh, just not a plot, but, you know, this storyline. So I'd like to like to hear hear that again. All right. So, uh. The the main character's name is Jerome. Jerome is like super smart, but he's a high school dropout. Never really got his life together. Went to jail early on uh, in his life, and now he's trying. He's out, and he's trying to like just get back to where he feels he should be. But it's hard, uh, just like it is hard in real life for people that have been convicted of a crime to to find a job and to to better themselves once they have that label on them. So he struggles with that. He's just working odd jobs. So one day he uh, he goes to one of his friends who's still selling drugs, is still on the corner all the time, and he's just telling him, like, hey, I, you need to leave from here. You need to stop doing this. But when in that process, the cops pull up and they start running. Um, he runs into what he believes is an abandoned building where there's actually a scientist in there working on a project, and it's uh, interdimensional travel. So he hops in trying to hide, and he hops in his box, and it actually transports him to an alternate Earth. And in that earth, there was never a civil rights movement. So instead of us moving progressively forward as a country, they regressed somewhat. Um, they didn't have slavery per se, but there's definitely the light-skinned people of, or as we describe them here, they were working in the house as they would have during slavery times. And But the 
darker skinned black people, they were actually living underground in this dimension. So it's up to Jerome to uh, try to unify the dark skin with the light skin people. And, and there are light skin people that live underground as well, just because they choose to be around their own people for their own fears. Um, he's, it's his job to unify them, to fight for their equality in that dimension before he can come back to his own dimension and lead his own dimension over their own racial tensions and try to help the racial equality there. So my first question is why sci-fi and how sci-fi, like how did you, how did you get into sci-fi? Not a lot of Black guys traditionally are big. Right. I mean, you do have glasses, so right. that's, that's a start. <laughs> that is a start. It's but you, a, have, you, don't, even have, right you don't even have a pocket, let alone no a pocket, pocket protector. No pocket protector. No no bandages around my glasses. <laughs> right. Nothing. I, I got a Band-Aid in the back. We can hook you up real quick. We can turn you into a super geek ASAP. Well, uh, I don't I don't know. Uh, really, I guess it's my uncle. My uncle started me on sci-fi when I was really young. I mean, the first movie I can ever remember going to was Star Wars Episode One. I went there with my uncle when I was a little kid, and uh, he's like, I love sci-fi. He always had me watching sci-fi and, uh, before he passed, and so like I had that connection. I still hold on to that connection from him, so I've always been into sci-fi, always been into fantasy. It was, it was kind of weird, because it did kind of like exclude me for certain things, because people were like, why right. are you looking at that? Why are you listening to that? And I'm like, because I like it. I mean, right. <laughs> what more Nerds come in all shapes yeah. and sizes. <laughs> but, I got the idea from for my novel from a dream, just as we said, daydreaming. So I actually dreamt I had the dream and I was like in my dream. I was Jerome and I was running through the city oh, and wow. all these things. So like when I woke up, I was like, I need to write this down right oh, now. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And so do you, did you have any sci-fi reading that you were doing? Were you reading? Do you, do you have any do you have any authors that, that were kind of because I don't read sci-fi. So, I mean, I don't, I don't not read sci-fi. Mm. I, I like Kurt Vonnegut, for example, right? And he's technically like a sci-fi guy. But I don't, like, I, I know that Philip K. Dick is, is a heavy hitter, and I know that, I know, Isaac Asimov, Asimov, or... Ray Bradbury. Yeah, they're all heavy hitters. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not real familiar with their work. So I didn't... But I'm real familiar with sci-fi, and mm. so... And that's, that's my crazy thing. I don't really read too many sci-fi books. It's like I'm an I'm a auditory learner. So, like, with me, it's all, like, movies, movies, movies. Like, sci-fi movies, if I see one come out, if I see, as soon as I see the trailer, I'm like, I need to go see that one. Like, so with sci-fi, to me, it's more about movies. But, like, yeah, I, I don't really have any authors. Well, I think, and this is, and as soon as Jamad told me about um, the premise of his novel, like, immediately my brain went to Stephen King's 11, 23, 63, mm-hmm. in which... His character, and I don't really consider Stephen King a sci I mean, a sci-fi. I really put him more in horror, or, maybe in drama. But um, what I, the premise of that um, novel is basically the protagonist uh, finds a time travel, like a, a doorway of some sort, in the closet of a diner. There's like this old beat-up diner, and the protagonist goes in, and he finds that when he goes into the broom closet of this old beat diner in like Nowhereville, like Maine, I guess, or New York, I guess, um, he falls into a wormhole, and he comes out in like 1960 or 1961. And so the premise is, let's stop the JFK assassination, and, you know, if we stop that, then America is just going to be infinitely better when we come back to the future. So when he was talking about that, maybe I maybe I didn't really I don't always see. T- I mean, of course, time travel, sci fi sort of makes sense. But right. I also think mm-hmm. in terms of storytelling, I really love the concept that in in framing what we now see today is the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. uh, the civil rights movement, um, trying to reach people that may not 
people who may be turned off when they hear black lives Mm -hmm. matter, they might, if you kind of maybe approaching it from a sci-fi perspective or just saying, Hey, let's take this whole situation and twist it, give it a very post-apocalyptic feel and see if that doesn't, I mean, did you sort of see sci-fi or that time travel or, I mean, I just think it's an absolutely brilliant, uh, way way to present the story but did mm. you see that as maybe helping you reach maybe an audience that maybe wouldn't normally absolutely absolutely i i felt like a story in general maybe would reach people that wouldn't typically uh it wouldn't typically be able to be reached i mean people watch the news uh and god rest the souls of those people that have died especially absolutely. in these last couple of weeks i mean it's it's been ridiculous uh, death on any level is 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 not called for, and that's not the way that we attain what we want. So I I felt like maybe this book, and it's it's really ironic that's coming out at this time period. That maybe this book would reach some people that are just like completely turned off by it. They see the protest, they see that sometimes they do turn violent. I mean, but people are angry. Absolutely. So uh, when people are angry, sometimes they are going to turn violent, and it's not everybody. I mean, just like all all cops are bad cops. It's just. Uh, certain ones that are making it seem like the large mass is bad. So uh, hopefully with the sci-fi premise and hopefully with it being a story rather than just like a a news periodical or something that it'll reach more people and they can truly empathize or they can truly try to understand what is going on and how we can take steps forward to fix it. But we'd have to make that first, that choice consciously to make those steps. Yeah. Sometimes it's almost like if you can create a brilliant character that will people maybe can sympathize with like a fictional character sometimes mm-hmm. more than they can an actual human being, which right. is a maybe a terrible thing to say out loud on a podcast. But <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's kind of almost kind of what I see is if we can have, if you sometimes if you can tell someone a story, you can get them to come with you maybe then just like, I'm going to sit down and tell you some facts, right. you know? And well, and, and it's not, well, it's, it's not that we don't have enough facts. Yeah, right. It's, 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 we have lots it's, of them. It's, it's, it's not that facts are, are, are lacking. It's it's empathy that's lacking. Right. Right. And so I think storytelling can right. invoke that yeah. empathy. Right. That's that's the hope. That's the hope. So when you're so when you were cre- crafting Jerome, and this is one thing we talked about with some of our other characters, when you were crafting your protagonist who has to come out of a um, come come out of today's world and go into a different world where the civil rights movement never happened. Did, how much of yourself, I mean, you said when you had the, you had the dream and mm-hmm. you basically, so how much of yourself goes into Jerome when you're writing at that point, do you have to be like, okay, I'm going to hold back on this. I'm mm-hmm. going to push forward here. How do you make those, de- you know, decisions as an author? Uh, it is kind of tough. Like I, I did put a lot of myself into him though. Like, uh, um, I grew up, uh, What's it? The reservations of Salisbury. So it's like the ghetto, quote unquote. Uh, grew up around there. Grew up around drugs. Grew up around violence. So, uh, but still decided that I should go to school to try to better my life and better life for my family. So, uh, I just him being in that type of situation, but him making the opposite decision uh, was myself and my my brothers. I put a lot of my brothers into it because uh, I really looked up to them for a time, but they always told me, don't be like me. That was always their advice to me. So uh, I have two older brothers. Both of them are currently incarcerated, but uh, they, that's what their words of wisdom, and I stuck by that, and I've lived my life by that. I tried to, 
I'm similar to them in certain ways. Like we're all hot headed, and Jerome was a hot headed character at times. Um, even though he's intelligent, sometimes he like forgets that he can use his brain to outwit people, and just goes back to being angry. Um, and some we all do the same thing. We're all guilty of it. So I put Absolutely. myself in it, and I've also put my brothers into it. So it's like a culmination of three people into one. Okay. One mm-hmm. of the things, the the other things we we're discussing is is how do you prevent yourself from being too. How you, how, how you prevent the veil from being too thin. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't have any success in that. Like, we were, one of the things I was talking about is I can't, it feels like a lie to me as, as, opposed, to, as opposed to, like, revealing the truth. It feels like, it, it feels like a flat lie because it doesn't, my alternate reality that I'm in doesn't hold up under the, under the weight of my beliefs. Mm-hmm. So how do you keep your beliefs in a fictional character that is that is kind of powered by you at the same time um that's a good question (laughs) yeah i think is i think it's sort of well the conversation you and i were having we were i think part of it too is tony and i are Mm non-fiction so for us it's a little harder for us to step out of that non-fiction he's a journalist by trade i'm a non-fiction writer by trade so i think for us it's a little harder to say if I'm going to write a story, I'm either in it or I'm not. Mm-hmm. Before for Jerome, he he's born of your dreams, and so then to try to figure out how much of Jamad goes into Jerome and how much do you let Jerome just kind of be mm-hmm. his own, I think is what Tony's trying to trying um, to talk his way into. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I just I kind of went along with the story. You know, yeah. a lot of it was what would I do, but at the same time, it's like okay, this isn't me, so what would he do? What would his personality say? So it's just like feeling out the story that you have written so far and how you can take it to the next point but keep the character or actually uh, help the character grow along the way. Absolutely. So that that is... It was tough, though. Like I, I did put a, Like I said, I put a lot of myself in there, but it was tough to say, this may be what I would do, but... I can't put Jerome doing this in the story. So yeah, that's tough. one thing we were talking with another author. I think it was Ben Beck, and we were talking about one of his uh, characters in his novel, and he was like, "This character, I know what she's going to do. She's just this is who she is, and she's going to act this way. And no amount of me as the author can really, you know, influence that because that character was very strong mm-hmm. for him. And so it kind of sounds a little bit the same way that you've created this very strong character who mm-hmm. is maybe an amalgamation of three people, but also clearly very defined on his own. And he's just kind of, Jerome's going to do what Jerome's going to do in that, in that story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and now you are, uh, you're heading to San Diego, San, San Francisco, California. There's like Pennsylvania. <laughs> and then that's that my West coast begins right outside of Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> West Philadelphia, border race. FYI, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. I'm sure you can is. gloss over it, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. I'm, I'm sure there is. Point is California. Like, so that's, that's, that's kind of a bold move. How did you decide? How did you, how did you find the school of the arts? How did you decide to apply and how did you get in? Uh, I had a professor that went there actually. He went there on the online program. Same thing I'm doing, uh, scoring a composition for visual media. So uh, both of us have dreams of being film composers. So we want to work on film. My, like one of my biggest idols is John Williams, uh, the right. composer for Star your Wars. Your geek side is yeah, showing my geek, again. <laughs> yeah, your, that's your, my geek your side. Your geekery is showing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I learned. I got the idea from him. I asked him about the program. 
I applied, accepted me, but now I was like, well, online is cool, but to go out there and make those connections with maybe, uh, and I, I listened to a lot of different composers, and they all said the same thing, that you have to make a connection with a director. Earlier in his career, the better, because once you make that connection with that director, you're, he's going to use you for everything for the rest right, of his career, yeah. so you'll have work for the rest of your career. So I was like, I should go out there and meet a director that's in school, and we can just come together. There's a, there's a great story about how when uh, John Williams played the beginning of Jaws for uh, Steven Spielberg, oh, yeah. he thought he was kidding. He's like, I wanted yeah. to go like this. I wanted to go like, damn it. And he's like, no, no, really. What are you working <laughs> on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then, but they had this, they had this yeah. kind of trust. He's like, trust me. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a, and I, so Comic-Con is going on right now. And they did the, the premiere of the new Star Trek movie. Did you hear about this? Mm-hmm. With with a live orchestra instead of the score. Oh, I, I wish I no not hear about that. <laughs> oh, I didn't man. hear about that. I wish I had. <laughs> now I would have cool. watched the video on YouTube or something. Right. I, I, it must it must be on YouTube. But, and there is this new openness for, I think, experimentation within these large. So they are going to make Star Wars until Star Trek and Star Wars and uh, and the Avengers until. Until, until until the, the apocalypse, yeah. right? It, it's just that that's this is the the world that we live in now. We've got at least another decade, maybe fifteen. I, I love more it, years, I right? Love it. <laughs> but and so people are like, creativity is gone, and yeah, for 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 if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna write scripts, they should probably have Tony Stark in them. But if you're going to make if you're going to make music, you can kind of participate and find interesting interesting ways to explore this closed medium you know mm-hmm. it's it's like this this is the, this is the overall narrative but what can you do interesting within it that meets expectations as far as as far as being part of the past and going toward the future absolutely. but but also kind of is surprising at the same time absolutely I, with composers and like i said i watched a lot of them i learned a lot from a lot of them uh, Hans Zimmer and John Williams are probably two. Jeff Swampy Marsh, like those three are like probably my three top that I'm listening to. Um, they're always saying do experiments. So it's just like you said, like combining the past with the future. So like I've started doing experiments. Like one day I left my uh, my recorder on all day long, went to work, came home. So it's like ten hours worth of just nothing. Ambient, sil- yeah, yeah, it's just silence. But I can hear birds chirping outside. I can hear like uh, my door got blown open by my uh, by the room next door, and I'm just like, wow! I did not know all these sounds occurred when I was when I wasn't home. So I was like, so what can I do with these? And you can like bend the different programs. All dolls are great. Like I love them. Whichever one you're familiar with, use it. It's it's amazing. Like so, I just started bending the sounds and just getting different sounds of it. Like I even had a uh, one I wrote for a guy where I took the AOL sound and I like slowed it down and uh compressed it and then i i lowered the pitch and it's like a really dark and creepy sound so it's it's just experimentation like that and they love that stuff and i i start loving it too um sorry the aol sound is the dial-up the dial-up noise, noise. Oh, right. <laughs> oh that, that that would be creepy <laughs> yeah i didn't know if it was like you know you've got no that's, that's, that which is also that would creepy, be creepy right? too. <laughs> <laughs> so when you so when you're so are you currently like making soundtracks or um things for for people is that something that you're currently doing uh, i have i took a, a step back from it so i could work on my book so uh i said i would get back into it probably early next year just so i have time to 
work on my book, reflect on it, uh, promote it properly, give it its just dues, and then I'll get back into that. That is something I have done in the past, and I look forward to doing it again in the future, though. Because that sounds, when you said you were recording sort of these sounds of the day when you weren't mm-hmm. there, that has almost a very sound, like movie soundtrack mm-hmm. kind of feel. So it kind of makes sense that that would be your your interest, but I'm sort of fascinated by that. Like, what if you had heard, like, what if you played that back and you heard someone talking or, you know, something kind of creepy like that? I would have probably destroyed my mic, my computer, and <laughs> like, <laughs> never that again. Like, I'm, the machine, it all goes. <laughs> I don't need any of this anymore. <laughs> so when you go out to California, are you looking to do, um, so... Is it film composition? Is it soundtracks? I'm not really familiar with, uh, with the industry to know the terminology. Called so. film scoring. Um, okay. That's what I'm looking. Yeah, that's what I'm looking to do. Just trying to get into that. Which is, it's very hard. It's very competitive. Like I said, just gotta know the right director and get in good with him. Gotcha. My wife is an English teacher, and mm-hmm. uh, when she's trying to teach tone to the kids, she plays. You might be familiar with it. There's a there's a a group of YouTube videos with the. Um, with the trailers for famous movies rescored with different music. Mm. So like the shining looks like a romantic comedy and nothing has changed. It's just, it's just rescored and the, and the, and the, so like Jaws done to like an ice cream truck, right? Exactly. Like using like the, the tones of an ice cream truck to do. No, no, to no, no, do... no, no, just a completely different song. Not, they didn't, they didn't change it. They didn't change. They didn't alter the current soundtrack. They wrote a brand new one. Okay. To go over a brand new score to go over the trailer. So, oh, it got makes you. It, and it, and it got just, you. You know, is this so? And you're it asking the mood. Reader, you know, is this a happy movie? And they're like, The Shining. Oh, you know, that looks like a fun movie that I would love to go see. <laughs> that, that's probably, that's probably oh, very okay. little do they know. Right, because, got you. Okay. Because they can't, because the tone of the, of the trailer is all score. Mm-hmm. Got you. Okay. I thought you meant like the sound tone for some reason. Oh, I don't, no, and I did, no, no, wasn't no. really sure why an English teacher was working with sound tones, but <laughs> right. I thought you meant like, <laughs> like if you took like a, like a, a you know, like the pitch, like, like yeah. Like if you took like a xylophone and played jaws on that, it would have a very different connotation right. than, so, but you're saying like, I, I follow what you're saying now. Sorry. I was yeah. a little lost. That's there. All right. Yeah, that's but, one of the things we learned in school though. Like the music is, they say it's secondary. You know, to the film, of course, the visuals, the the color in it, the actual storyline. So the script, of course, is super important. But people don't realize just how much the music affects the movie. Like they made a movie before just as an experiment. Uh, what would happen if we made this movie with no music? It bombed. Like yeah. it was horrible. They re-released it with the music. It was like a box office smash hit. Like the music is so important, but we never realize just how it makes us feel about it. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, music is, again, music, words, I think these all these sort of creative yeah, impulses, together. it makes sense that someone who is a writer and, you know, your book being sort of a sort of a sci-fi twist, but then having, you know, the Star Wars and the John Williams, like all these things in our may seem like you wouldn't think John Williams and, and sci-fi, well, you probably would, but like the like literature and, and all these things, like, Sometimes we put them in these little separate things, but really they blend well, they especially. Hand hand. Yeah, they go they go hand in hand. Well, the idea is is like with any, with any kind of communication, with any kind of art, but also with any kind of communication, is to be evocative. You want to you want to see if you can get beyond, if you can reach someone on a on a more emotional level, on on a more visceral level, because that's where that's where the better communication is done. 
Um, and I think that sometimes one of the difficulties is people skip the part where you think first and they go right for the emotion. And, you know, and that's why that's a logical fallacy, right? Because the appeal mm-hmm. to emotion doesn't, doesn't make it a fact. It's, it's, it's rhetorical cheating, right? <laughs> but if you, have, if you have a good point, mm-hmm. if you have a legitimate premise, then coloring it with emotion, which is, which is the song, which is the word choice, um, which is, I don't know, the, 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 the lyrics versus the music or the way the lyrics go with the music, um, part of the way we reach people with hopefully more truths or, or, or we bring them more, more close, right. more nearer the truth, nearer to the truth. We <laughs> take more out of that. <laughs> Ours aren't my favorite. <laughs> So when so as you as you have Uncivil Unity, um, mm-hmm. I know that you currently have a, an Indiegogo site to to raise mm-hmm. funds for that. How do you see your book now uh, coming to life to go from this incredible story that you know from a dream in your head? Now it's you know it's a completed work on your computer, and how is that now transforming into a book and, and these next steps for you? Uh, next step is really just editing and publishing. So like I've, I've just done my editing. Uh, publishing i'm releasing in september uh i have a friend that's working on the cover art for me I've, so i'm trying to i'm trying to get a lot of people involved really because sure. i want uh not just me to get recognition from that but people i know to get recognition that have these skill sets that that are maybe in a in a in a funk so to speak and this may help them out so i don't want to just do this for me uh i want to do this for people around me the people i love people i care about my community the world even really because this can help who knows you know a story like this so really the publication and getting the cover art and promotion is my my biggest things right now and i've, I've even thought about because i love movies so much i love scoring uh what if i tried to make it its own um independent film you know right but that that had to be farther down yeah, the line so. you, have, you need a lot of volunteers yeah it sounds like yeah. there are a lot of crowd scenes yeah yeah no i was gonna say that something that's kind of happening now and i've seen a few of them um I don't know that I've ever seen any really well done, but I bet you could do it really well. Um, is people are doing uh, like video trailers, trailers for their for novel. Books. Yeah. I mean, so maybe if you couldn't get that full movie made, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a in a book in a promo scene, I think you I, I could just see you just lighting up and just making a trailer. You know, with telling this. my secrets. I'm, just oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh! I didn't, no, I'm so sorry. Like it just kind of popped into my head, but I'm thinking that the film and the score, mm-hmm. like. What an, I've never known anyone who did it, but I think you would probably uniquely qualified to do a book trailer. Yeah, I, have, I have a couple of friends that are videographers, so I spoke with them. And I have a friend that's he really wants to get into acting, so I spoke with him as well. So uh, we talked about doing a promo trailer for it. Uh, still in the works right now. Gotcha. So. Excellent. And I wanted to know about uh, social media. Do you, do you have like a professional pre- premise? Can people find you on the Internet if they look hard enough? Yeah. Uh, believe so i think so i mean my name is so is so unique so i guess uh if you search mod gold i'm pretty sure i'm the only person you'll find right <laughs> do, you, do you have like a twitter handle that yeah. you use or a- uh twitter i'm not too big on anymore but i do have one uh facebook instagram i have all those so uh facebook of course my gold um i also have a professional page i use for my music production company called vivacious music uh, so that's my name on Instagram as well, Vivacious underscore music. Name on uh, Twitter is Vivacious underscore boss. So 
And Vivacious spelled V-I-V-A-C-I-O-U-S. I always spell that because people are like, I don't have no idea how that's spelled. <laughs> it's one of those ones you're like the the I O U U I. You know. I always I'm always surprised when I spell a word like that correctly. <laughs> and um, and also the Indiegogo page is that up already? Yes, the Indiegogo page is up. If you just go on Indiegogo.com, search Uncivil Unity, it'll definitely pop up. Yep, that's how I found it. Very cool. All right, and, and we'll the- make sure all of the in the uh, in your podcast page, we'll make sure we have all the links to your social media. We'll make I will absolutely make sure we have a link to the Indiegogo page so people can go and support you and support Uncivil Unity and make sure that people are out there getting their copies. And uh, so, I mean, I think it's a fantastic premise, and I think that uh, it's very timely right now. And I think that uh, we should definitely put the word out, help get, help you get the word out for appreciate it. Appreciate that. Appreciate it. Sure thing. All right. Well, now this is the part where you thank the guests. Thank you, Jamal, for being here. <laughs> it was absolutely a pleasure me. talking to you. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. To hear more behind-the-story stories, visit us at www.saltwatermedia.com. Want to hear more? Just subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review on iTunes. Tell your story.